Hey guys, welcome to Industry 4.0. Um, I'm joined today by, for the first time, all five of us, including myself. So, just going to do a round table. Um, we have Kyle in one corner. What up? We got Ryan. What's going on? We got Irvin. Hey guys. And last but not least, and again to join us this week, we have Jeff. What's up, everybody? Um, looks like we got a big week. Uh, not a whole lot happened, but the biggest thing that did happen was Google I.O. And that's probably going to be the bulk of this podcast. So we got a pretty good show coming up. So um, just to get it started, Google I.O. is the developer conference for Google. It's um, not unlike Apple's conference, but it's more focused for the developer and all the things that Google's working on. And the focus of this one was AI and to get that started, um, Google had some stats they released about their machine learning. And Urban, I know you were watching the I.O. as it happened. Do you want to share anything about um, what you thought was interesting about the machine learning aspects of I.O.? Yeah, it just looks like that uh, Google is putting all their baskets into A.I. Because um, uh, Sundar Pichai um, started off the keynote. He's the CEO of Google. And um, he... Uh, started out saying that um, it used to be like a mobile for- first world. So mobile first, everyone was developing for mobile apps and mobile uh, tech. Um, but now everything's moving to an AI first world. So re- Google is really heavily investing into the AI, AI ecosystem uh, that they have uh, built. Uh, so um, one of the big news is related to that was um, the TPUs or tensor processing units that they're making available for all um, Google developers to uh, use. So what these TPUs are, uh, in these these are just giant boards with mm-hmm. uh, uh, that are geared towards um, doing machine learning. It's like a souped-up Raspberry Pi, right? <laughs> it's slightly bigger <laughs> than that. Uh, uh, so yeah, so they built these, uh, rack mounted systems that you can just put into uh, a server. Um, so your typical CPU is direct, is made for computers, made for calculating, doing basic tasks, uh, basic computing, and then GPUs specified to do special graphics, Mm -hmm. um, uh, Processing and then these TPUs or tensor processing units are geared towards the machine learning aspect um, of it, so it should speed up the processing of um, uh, the, 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 how fast uh, these things learn. And actually, the one of the coolest news that they came out with is that uh, Google has developed uh, artificial intelligence that. Uh, works on building other artificial intelligence. I read about that. That are <laughs> that are actually uh, improving itself. So it's it's having a whole bunch of so it, it artificial intelligence system uh, creates multiple systems and then builds tests on those and then it figures out okay this one performs the best so we're gonna keep that one and then we're gonna duplicate that and then see who performs and then it's gonna keep improving on that by itself without any input. And some of those programmers were looking at is like they don't even know how these things are being made at all. <laughs> like good. they don't 
they don't know how all these artificial intelligence systems are being designed, but whatever they're doing, it's working. Uh, but yeah. So it's every sci-fi horror movie for the last 30 or 40 years. Basically. <laughs> yes, it's Skynet incarnate, yes. <laughs> yeah. It's just like the encryption that they were working on a while back when they had... Um, they had they ran that AI experiment where they had the three AIs where Alice and Bob had to communicate with each other, and there was a third AI who had to develop a way to listen in on the conversation, and they ran it through several thousand, as they call it, exercises in AI, and it got to the point where Alice and Bob developed a form of AI that the people who created Alice and Bob did not know how to decrypt and did not know what architecture they used to make their encryption. So it was a brand new AI created form of encryption that humans didn't understand or couldn't decrypt. So it's it's getting crazy. See that that alone would be interesting to me, but the fact that Alice and Bob went back and forth from I love you to I'm going to kill you every five seconds really terrifies me. Oh, is that the two um the two echoes that were talking to each other or the Google yeah. homes? <laughs> that was great. That was bad. And uh, speaking of the Google Home, there was some advancements with the the Google Home as well. Um, I know, I think the week prior, Alexa, or the Amazon Echo, I should say, I shouldn't use the trigger word for it, um, had developed with that uh, piece of hardware a way to have phone calls between different Echoes. So you could call somebody else and do a conference call with your Echo Dots or your Amazon Echoes. And Google kind of one-upped them in the span of a week and said, okay, so instead of that, now you have unlimited hands-free calling to any phone or Google like device like that across the U S and Canada. So now they just, now you can have, you can call someone with a Google home, but I think they're rolling that out over the course of the next so couple of months. The landline in theory is back in business, I guess. <laughs> it's all, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it's all free. Like, you don't have to pay for it. So literally anyone in the U.S. and Canada, you can make a call to. So let's say that you have your Google Home and you're searching for, like, oh, what's the uh, best place to eat tonight? Or, like, I'm looking for Italian. And it finds you a place. It's like, oh, want me to call it? And you just say yes, and it's going to call it. And then you're going to go make ahead. You'll go make a reservation for you. And then you have the ability to... Uh, tie your number to it so by default it'll use a private number so when they when someone gets a call from that google no, uh, home it'll just show up as private on their end but if you want to tie it to your own phone number once you make a call it's going to show your exact phone number so if you're calling a family member or something they're going to know who is calling and i think in the background they didn't say this explicitly but they're probably using google voice as the back end for all of this probably um, that's the uh, next question i was going to ask is it google voice based or not they didn't say at all during the entire presentation of what's it based on but my guess is and it would make perfect sense for it to be google voice mm -hmm. and um they're also adding bluetooth support to it also i know you, they yeah. you originally had to just hook up uh everything through the home app but now you can use it as a bluetooth speaker which is pretty cool too. yeah so any Bluetooth device can just send audio to it. Before you had to, like, cast it to it, which wasn't Bluetooth. It was all through Wi-Fi, but now if you just want to do Bluetooth. Um, and people didn't even know that there was a Bluetooth chip in there. Uh, mm -hmm. They just turned it on. It wasn't active till now, so they just turned it on with the software update. I would have assumed, um, personally, but... Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah, it's so, so cheap. It's so cheap now, and nowadays yeah. just to include it. Um, 
Yeah, for the like even for the pies and stuff, it was like an extra five bucks for them to add like a Wi-Fi chip. It's, yeah, exactly. Mm. Not to not to jump back if you guys don't mind for a second, but to that machine learning now, we, we talked a little bit about Watson last week. Mm-hmm. Is it using a lot of the? Is it doing a lot of the similar things, or are they expecting it to do a lot of the same things that Watson is doing, or is this a whole other level, a whole different avenue? What exactly are we talking about when it comes to the machine learning? Because Watson, I kind of have followed over the years and understood how that's grown and and learned from watching and taking in information and taking in data that people feed to it. Is this a completely different avenue? Is it just the next step on Watson or is it very similar to Watson? Um, You can go ahead, Ruben. Yeah, I think it's different type of data. So Watson was more of like, let's say we're going to give you all, here's all the books ever written, right? So we're going to give you this data set and this is where you're going to learn from. Uh, What Google is focusing on is, for better, for good, it's the you, the data for um, that they're either their users are inputting into their systems. So that might be Google Map reviews or uploading pictures into Google Photos or any of the information that they're storing on their local account and making AI work better for them so they can surface um, the data so that you can just search in a natural language and say, I want uh, pictures of my vacation from... Uh, last year that I took in uh, Arizona is going to give you those. And all you have to do is just type that or say that. And and it actually does that right now. But at like another level, um, you can say um, things like that. And you can, so it's, it, Watson was about now public knowledge that can be accessed by anyone um, on like physical books or actual knowledge. Um, And I think Google is really focusing on, making the data that you own be at a better server. But they're also doing the um, stuff for the public knowledge of law because you can ask general questions now to uh, the Google Assistant. And if it's on the Internet, it'll typically uh, find the answer for you. If it's in Wikipedia or some article, it'll pull that up and, and say it to you. Watson may have some similar ideas going forward because a lot of the commercials I've seen for Watson over time has been like, this is what we're working on doing. And it's kind of a simulation, not necessarily what they already have going for them at that moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, I saw a commercial recently. and I think I told uh, one or a couple of you guys before, but it was uh, Watson was sitting on a bench next to basketball scouts and it watched a game through the camera on the bot with the scouts and was able to determine who created the most space on their shot in the basketball game by itself. That's pretty cool. Which is incredible. I would imagine, again, I I think that it's a simulation at this point, and it's not really where, but it's like, hey, look, this is where we want to go. These are our goals. These are the ideas that we have. And that seems more advanced than what I remember Watson being a couple years ago, where, like you said, it was just we've dumped every available piece of data that we have that's public knowledge into this thing, and it just – spits it out at, at record levels right so um uh, go ahead so kind of to speak on what both of you have saying uh have said so far um i can't speak to watson specifically but with supercomputers uh such as watson i know for a fact that machine learning is an effect where um it's exponential where it's learning from what it is gathering itself 
Um, There there are supercomputers out there, such as Watson, that are trying to actually replicate how the human brain functions, um, which is along the lines of a hierarchical structure of data processing, which I won't get into right now, Um, but I could. Um, It's very topical. It is very very topical. Uh, (laughs) There could probably be an entire episode just on this topic. We can do it. Uh, so to speak, you know, what, what you learn impacts what has happened in the course of your life, right? That's experience. Um, computers are getting to a level where they're almost gaining experience from what they're learning from user feedback, uh, you know, et cetera. Things they're gathering from external devices, sensors. Um, it's really becoming quite powerful. That's so crazy. Right. And to it build is. off of what you were saying, Jeff, um, it's an AI. So it's, it, it's a little bit different from, from Watson in that it's getting better, but it's getting better on its own. So the difference between yep. the primary difference between Watson and deep mind is what Google calls their core AI is that Watson is like you had to quote, even what you said earlier, being worked on by people to improve their processes. But deep mind is getting better just by performing exercises and doing this itself. So it would, so to quote what everyone was saying, ordering food and um, it takes the voice recognition pattern and compounds that on all current voice searches happening on Google and uses that data set to get better at it on its own without any human intervention. It's, okay, it's, that's... It's really the dream of any business, right? To yeah. have your computers working for you mm-hmm. on and the it, fly. That's incredible. And it gets Not better the dream with, of the worker, but... <laughs> yeah, and it also helps with the fact that what, that DeepMind is owned by Google, the company right. with quite possibly the single largest data set of any company in the world. So, oh, just... yeah, yeah, they have, like... I know we were looking at the, the stats and Google Photos we'll be talking about in, like, a few minutes, but... They were saying that people were uploading a billion photos a week or something was the stat, too. I, I think it was a day, a actually. 1.2 billion a day. So that's just insane. And that's just image processing. So you have image processing. There's navigation, all the people using Google Maps and navigating and do, taking different routes. And it's almost at the point where they can, like, monitor traffic in real time and see what routes people are taking around accidents and, like, get reports and stuff and DeepMind's got hooks into all of this stuff. Unlike Watson. I've seen Watson. a couple of reports recently that Waze is actually uh, better at predicting traffic at the moment than Google Maps is. That's actually pretty well, recent. curious to me. What are yeah. they doing that makes them better? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Well, well, first off. That, wait, yeah, Waze is owned by Google Maps, yeah. so they're sharing oh, the data between each other. <laughs> How about so, that? Yeah, yeah. It's that on top of user-submitted um like stuff so the people submit like a traffic accident or a police officer or something and mm-hmm. so yeah. it's supplemented by like a social you know, media aspect so that's right. and, and, that... and you know how many people like they said the google maps is one of the so in the beginning of the keynote they listed all their apps that are having that, that has over a billion monthly active users and google maps was uh one of them and one of the other stats that they shared about google maps was that currently they do over a billion miles of navigation a day on Google Maps. Um, so and every surprise me. yeah, and every time uh, every time someone uses navigation on their phone and they're actively navigating all, using Google Maps or Waze, they're sending that data back 
from that phone of how fast it's going. So if it's on a 65 mile an hour road and it's only going 30, it's sending that data back and getting real time feedback of how fast there's that traffic going on that road. And just imagine a billion miles of that every single day coming into Google. So no wonder that it, that how, why uh, that navigation is so accurate. It's better than any other news network or that they can give you an update on. It's, it's, Probably as good as a live feed of video camera. Yeah, it's it's really cool road. too. It really just depends on the back end, right? Because the devices obviously have to send the data, but I mean, it's really that central processing that really makes everything happen. Yeah. Um, it's it's insane how many machines they must have running right now. The processing power there is incredible. I mean, I, I kind of want to break it down in a little bit for some of our users in the layman's terms uh, from a developer's perspective, the difference between like, traditional binary development and what's going on with the deep mind and, and the uh, machine learning. So basically when, you, when you're looking at, at binary, you got conditionals, right? You got if this, then that, or if this, else, nothing, right? So say I'm, I'm, I'm on Google, I'm gonna search, I, I like this type of cookie, right? And Google's like, well, if they like this type of cookie, then I, I wanna find them an ad that goes with the right type of milk, right? <laughs> they, they, like they wanna find the right milk. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> So it's, if this cookie, then this type of milk, else not the milk or not the cookie if they're not searching the cookie at all. So what DeepMind does is it compares it. It's gonna it's gonna load in a data set of all like a bunch of searches you've done every time you've searched for that type of cookie. It's gonna say this guy searched for this cookie three times and it gave him three different types of milk. So we're gonna start with these three different types of milks. So you can load in another data set with even more types of milk. And you're gonna say, all right, he um, searched for this cookie and he likes. This there's five different types of milk with one cookie, but if he searches for another cookie, he likes another five types of milk, right? Mm-hmm. So it's breaking it down into what they call a neural net. So it's going to go by probability. What every time he searches for that cookie, <laughs> if he if he hits one type of milk more than another, and if he searches for another type of cookie and he hits that type of milk more than another, he's, it's going to break down the probability. And from there, it learn it saves that search almost, and then it breaks down the probability, the odds of how many times it's going to land on that particular cookie. So that way, if it's if it's starting from the beginning, it can bypass other cookies and not even worry about those if it's really low odds of hitting those. Repeated and cause odds. and effect. Right. I mean, that's like a really high level like <laughs> summary, but I, I feel like it's kind of important to break it down of what's going on. Like, no, yeah. It kind of and, breaks down exponentially and continues to you know improve its odds when it's collecting data like the billions of miles, like Irvin was saying, of, of roadmaps and traffic areas. I mean, yeah. every day get better as long as it's recording day by day by day. They actually right. had some stats that they um, that they were presenting um, at the I/O conference, and one of the ones that was impressive to me was it's they when they first launched Google Voice, it had a word or it had a correct word prediction rate of twenty percent, and now just seven years later, with the data set they've had with Google Voice, um, it's now down to four and a half percent error. So one, I think they said the stat was it will get one in every 20 words wrong so initially it was 20 percent were incorrect and now it's down to four percent are incorrect it just was to one clarify in five. yeah it was one in five and now it's one in 20 in that's, the span of probably six or so years so that's and great what, another interesting stat that i don't know what to make of uh but the image recognition uh stat that they listed so they had a graph of humans how good they are at recognizing images right and it was a, a flat line right because we really haven't improved or gotten worse at recognizing throughout time 
as humans at looking at things, right? So there's a flat line going through. And you can see that Google Assistant, or the AI, is actually dipped below what the levels of humans are. So they're saying that their AI is better at recognizing things and images than humans are. And if you just, if you think about that, let's say the error rate, well, let's say like a, a, someone as a witness for a crime, right? How many times do you, like, you imagine seeing something and you really wasn't there? Just if, at first to me, when I heard that sounds like, okay, right, sure. AI can't be better at seeing than a human. But if like thought about it, like you see things that aren't really there sometimes. You just, your mind puts it there. But an AI has the time to analyze that full image, right? And see exactly what's in that picture. So, yeah. so, so that it doesn't surprise me that AI can process an image better than a human. Actually, I mean, that's kind of... I assume that, but what what doesn't occur to me, or what does occur to me, I should say, is that humans can't, you know, we're, we're mobile. We're in the right place at the right time when things happen. You can only set up so many cameras. It, the more yep. things become mobile, that's when things are really going to get weird, in yeah, my and, opinion. And to just to completely leverage that towards something else that happened at I.O., they just said that they have over <laughs> 2 billion active devices that are running Android. And all of these have the Google, um, all the Google apps on it. So they're getting close to being that mobile. So it's it's getting to the point where they're going to start to be able to compete with that. But to go back on what Irvin was saying, I don't really know where they were getting that stat from or how they quantify how humans can see. So it's it it was it seems kind of a bit vague or almost something that I didn't really kind of, I just kind of brushed off like oh okay cool but, mm-hmm. and also. Um, what you were saying, um, how the mind kind of puts things in our memories in the line of sight, that's like the core difference between man and AI. And that is a purely logical algorithm, essentially, right. that just is analyzing just various inputs and data points. Kind of like um, when they had the deep mind playing um, that Nine Dan Go player when they were doing the the Go competitions to see if Uh their AI could beat the top player in the world um, in the... I don't know if you guys have played or seen the board game Go. It's that board game with the little white and black dots, and you have to... I think the objective is to surround or to have the majority of the territory by the end of the game Hmm. through basically war of attrition. And um, during the competition, the AI would make moves that... The, this nine Dan champion had to like stand up and like walk away for a couple of hours and just like reevaluate his whole strategy because it was doing stuff that he's never seen before in his like 20 year career playing wow. go. And it's like a human would never make that move. Like, why are you, it, it seemed it, to him, like I was watching an interview, it's like to him, it seemed like a dumb move, but at the end it paid off to the computer because um, for somehow it knew better than the human. I mean, you could predict 20 steps in advance based on all scenarios. Right. We can't do that no matter how long we play. Yeah. My question there is, should we really be teaching AI how to compete? With um, humans and then beat them? And then... Competition in general. They're designed yes. to be <laughs> I think as That's long as it stays... Title. 
Go ahead. I was like, as long as it stays in sport and entertainment and it doesn't get for like competing in the, the job market or stuff. But I think I think we've proven in our past 10 minutes of conversation that it, it goes elsewhere, right? Like it's learning from itself. I, I, I agree with you, Ryan. I think that, um, you know, competition's healthy in a sense, but in another sense, it's really uh, negative for society as a general. If we have computers um, taking, you know, not not to say they can feel emotion, but like a negative uh, approach towards these kind of things. That's really not the direction you want to go. Um, process improvement's one thing, but we, we can also learn from these AIs too. Like they learn, like a lot of Go players actually watch those games closely, who um, were going up against the AI or were beaten previously by the AI, up working up to that nine Dan champion and. Um, they learned that when in, it's in the way that people play Go was tied directly into human nature. When humans play Go, their objective is to crush their opponent, both emotionally and in terms of the points <laughs> in the game. So they just kind of wear them down and win. Whereas this AI is weighing all, like you said, all the possible decisions. And he's like, okay, if I beat this guy by a percent, I still win. Uh, he's like, he's just playing that kind of a game. So, so it's, like, it's almost it's almost worse. Yeah. Like right, losing by one percent. Mm-hmm. But we can learn from that kind of a like a strategy. Like the people learn tactics that they had never seen before for t- games that they've taught it to play, like chess or go. So it's it can be used in a good sense to kind of learn from it and um basically yeah, learn from it. So and another thing that I that I wonder, just because it brought it up before we started going into the game and all, like, is it possible that uh, if you we were talking about like you know lineups and stuff like that, if people are are influenced by the by inflection in people's voices, the way things are phrased, even if the question at at its heart is supposed to mean the same thing, I can be influenced by the way you word the question, and I don't know if AI would be would be affected by that or not, or you know uh, this different types of whatever it is like I, I don't know if they would be affected by the way things are phrased or wording or tone of voice mm-hmm. but humans have proven time and time again that they are like just as a small example i got uh someone stole money from a job that i worked at and i could have sworn in that moment i remembered everything that that dude said looked like wore everything and when the person said was he wearing jeans when the officer said to me was he wearing jeans i was like uh i think so he was not. He was wearing khakis. On the video, he was wearing khakis. In the moment, I knew he was wearing khakis. <laughs> but because they, their first question wasn't, what was he wearing? It was, was he wearing jeans? I was like, well, yeah. If you caught someone who looked like the dude I just described and he was wearing jeans, it's that guy. Yeah. <laughs> but it, the question, you know, if the question was phrased differently, I would have answered differently. So I, I don't know if AIs are affected by that. Can we change the way that they answer or respond or compute based on the way we say things, based on the way that we... I, so, I think currently now, no. But I think we might be working towards that, where it's going to analyze it's, the inflection of how you say it. It's going to be de- different results. It's going to be delicate. Like down to processing power. It's going to be delicate, in my opinion. I mean, you have to take in, you know, societal factors. Are you going to program it to expect one thing based on what one person thinks? Probably not. So it's going to be based on input and, you know, result. Is that result accept- acceptable? Uh, is is that how we work as people? Um, you know, you bring in things into account like emotion. Um, there's 
as, as far as we know, none of that in computers. So mm-hmm. um, it's just X and Y. Yeah, it's just different data points that we can't quantify in machine learning yet. And I think that'll happen kind of as the technology gets better. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. But um, humans rely a lot on instinct and intuition, which largely is either genetic memory or memory through experience, whereas a machine will have that all on hand at any given second, you know, you know what I mean, any given point in time. Right. So that's really what will give them the edge. And it helps when you've got, like, 25 billion examples of someone shrugging or something stored in Google <laughs> Photos. <Yeah>. Yep. <laughs> so, and then, um, what was that? Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, um, going back on what you were saying earlier on ways that AI is positively impacting our lives, um, there was a few other things that they were talking about at I.O. One of the ones that interested me the most was Google Lens. Did any of you guys get a, a chance to see the video that they showed on that or um, watch any of the highlights or read about it on the articles? You mean any of one other than me? <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> um, you know for sure I did. Oh, you watched it live. Oh, yeah, I did. Yeah, that's right. I, yeah. I read I did not watch. Mm. But, yeah, Google Lens yeah. looks awesome. So, it's... I don't know how many... Who has heard of Google Goggles? This So, this came out in, like, 2011-ish. Yeah. So, you would point it at an object, and you take a picture of it, and it was like, oh, this is a book. This is a coffee mug. This is, I don't know what the limitations were, but it was fairly limited, and... Um, yeah, this is using it for barcodes. <laughs> it was barcode yeah, scanning. You can, yeah, you could do like text. You can like take a picture of text and it'll translate it for you and things like that. Uh, you can, yeah, do barcodes, uh, QR codes too. Um, but this is different. This is that wasn't based on AI. So I read a bunch of interviews with the people who were working on that original project for Google Goggles, and what they said was that we had to input all that data manually, right? And we had to teach it, okay, this is a uh, whatever object it was, and then teach it how to, uh, we had to program, not teach it, teach it in the right word, uh, program it to how to decode that object exactly, say, okay, this shape will be this X object. So Google Lens is completely different that it's based on AI. So it's learning from that giant data set that it's receiving from uh, Google and figuring out what things are, and there's no need to program everything in there. It's learning on its own. So all you need to do is just give it a whole bunch of pictures, and it'll figure out, okay, this is a cat from, or this is a coffee mug, or this is a barcode. One of the coolest sam- the examples that they showed was, you know, that if you go to your friend's house, they, they'll ask you, oh, what's the Wi-Fi password? And then yet they have to look on the bottom of the router. It has those weird characters with the SSID and the password. The okay. coolest example that they show is, well, all you have to do is just point the Google Lens at it, and it'll read it and connect you to that Wi-Fi That's network cool. automatically mm-hmm. when you're going. Because it'll figure out, okay, this is the SSID, and then this is the password, and it'll just find it and connect. Um, another awesome thing was related to um, augmented reality. So let's say you're walking down a street and you see a restaurant. I'm like, oh, wonder what's the rating of that restaurant. All you need to do is point the camera at it. The, the phone knows your location by a GPS and it knows what orientation you're pointing at by the compass. And it knows exactly, okay, this is 
this restaurant overlay over the door of the restaurant, the rating of it, uh, what's their open time, if they're open right now, you can see the menu, what what's popular there, and things like that, right over yeah. the actual image of uh, the restaurant. So that's just some of the things um, that it could do. You can point it at pretty much any object, and it'll try to figure out what it is. Um, that would be so cool to have. Yeah. And then, That's almost as cool as that time that I had a Pidgey in a trash can. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's like that Pokemon Go was one of the first like consumer introductions to something yeah. like augmented reality that was right. really well implemented and taken. <clears throat> like, there's pictures of people with like the Raditas in their bathroom, or like you said, the Pidgeys in the trash can. And it makes uh, sense. It makes sense, though, right? Mm-hmm. Like the technology is there. It's just a matter of. You know, being able to support it for all these devices, having the back end to support it, which is probably most important, and then just implementing it successfully, right. which is trial and error, essentially. You yeah. know, you you push updates. That's and it. It could be even helpful for, like, the hobbyist or someone who's walking through something they don't know what it is. Or, um, And one of the, the examples they showed was there was a flower that um, they held the camera up to. And it was like, oh, this was a, I think it was like a white red wine flower or something, and it was able to pick out the exact kind. And then it also, some of the recommended results were florists nearby that sold that type of flower and um, like the Wikipedia page on the flower. So it would be cool if like they further implemented it where I don't know, you guys have probably gone into a store where like the barcode for something or what it is, is either completely missing or is like beyond readability. And you'd be able to just like shine the camera at this object and it would be able to name like what kind of a tool it is or like what it is, or if it knows you're in the place, like what it costs at the store or like on their online market. So that w- it has uses that can kind of be extrapolated beyond um, what they're initially advertising it as. And it's someday, go ahead. No, all you Kyle. Uh, it, it's funny. Cause uh, the job I worked for previous uh, to the job that I work for now they talked about things not to this level, obviously, because this technology just wasn't there. But they talked about having like little readers and little QR codes throughout the store where you could walk up and say we didn't have something priced for whatever reason or, uh, it, you know, some of like our collectible items we didn't want to put prices on because we know how people get about like their collectibles in the boxes and everything looks nice and perfect and all that. Well, the theory was that when you got near it, if you had your the game I worked for GameStop. If you had the GameStop app downloaded and you had your Bluetooth on, it would just send you an alert and it would tell you what you have in stock and what the prices on those items were. They never got to that point, but this sounds like obviously a whole other level involving AI. It's just a cool idea. Like that, I've seen people try it and it not work before without this advanced technology and not powered by Google. It, 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 I feel like it could get to a whole nother crazy level, like we were just talking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the implications of it are are going to be insane going forward with what it can do. So, like, um, that would be – I've been in the streets, like, in Philadelphia so many times where I'm walking around, like, oh, I wonder what this restaurant's reviews are. And, like, you go to pull up, like, Yelp or something. But it would be so much more convenient because this, is, this isn't going to be a standalone app. It's going to be baked into the OS of Android. They may make an iOS variant. I'm not sure of that yeah. though. It could well, it could be part of Assistant itself. So now that Google Assistant is on a- iOS, we can jump into that story. Right. Or yeah. Mention yeah. that too. That's part of the, one of the an- announcements. Is Google Assistant part of iOS? But if it's baked into that Assistant um, 
already, then it doesn't have to be at a NOS level. It can be at a per app level, and that'll roll that out to more people um, other than Android users that are running that certain version of Android that it requires for it yeah. to run. And um, since this is a developers <laughs> conference, they mentioned that they're opening up the Assistant API to developers. So yep. you'll start seeing stickers on products that are coming out saying um, Assistant Inside or something. And it's like one of those Intel stickers, basically, you get on a computer. And um, it's going to be cool to see what people are doing. Like I know now there's uh, tutorials online for building your own Google Home, just like there is building your own Amazon Echo. Right. So it'll be like, it'll be insane to see just what the developer community is capable of. Um, getting this assistant to do and Google having access to all these new types of data points. So something I'm interested in, um, which touches on a topic I believe we covered a few episodes ago, um, how long till Google develops something that's, um, you know, not not to not this device space, but like bring your own store, I guess I would say, um, similar to Amazon Go, where, you know, you get, you're on the fly, you you get this rating of a store. You go in and you can purchase things and leave. And Google keeps tracks of what you bought, how much it costs, what accounts they're you're actually out of. Yeah, so they're actually working on that. Um, I forget the exact name. This wasn't part of Google I/O. Um, Matt, do you know the payment system? So they're working on. They beta tested a payment system. No, uh, I didn't with, hear about this. Yeah, so they beta tested a, a payment system inside of Mountain View. So Mountain View is where the headquarters of Google is. So a couple local stores there uh, where you just install an app on your phone. And you'll give and um, all you need to do is just pick up an item uh, inside the store. It won't track you like the Amazon uh, one of what you picked out, but you do have to uh, go ahead and go to a register. And it's the way of uh, getting rid of payment options uh, more or less. So all you have to do is go up to the register they scan all your items, and then you just say uh, to the um, uh, cashier, you just say, hey, I'm Irvin, or Irvin Lucas. You don't have to even say your name, last name, if you don't want to, because on the register screen, it's going to be showing all the people who are in the store right now who have that payment option, and it's going to have your profile picture right next to it. And all the cashier has to do is press touch on your face, and then it's going to charge you based on the items that you... Uh, so it's tracking the location, and it's knowing it knows that you're in the store, so it's going to display uh, your name to say, hey, it's easy, uh, this person can pay with this type of payment. I don't know how they do like uh, inventory with the system you're talking about, but it, it seems like it's almost an alternative to barcodes at this point, which is mm-hmm. obviously revolutionary. Yeah. No. yeah. Yeah, so there's like... There's an... There's some pretty insane stuff coming out of I.O. And I know um, one of the things that we haven't really talked about is the new Android OS that everyone's um, so excited to find out what the name is. It's Android O. Yeah, Android (laughs) O. Does anybody want to take a stab at what they think Android O is going to name its dessert operating system? I guess, I want to say Oreo, but I don't know if they're going to go with the trademark. I don't think they they can. Yeah, they well, they got so much flack for doing KitKat last time. They got a right. lot of flack for uh, going with because a lot of they said, quote unquote, said that uh, they didn't do any backroom deals with Nestle, who owns the the rights to KitKat. Um, so there's 
there, in theory, there couldn't be like the, the sure there can there perhaps wasn't any money exchange, but of course, KitKat or Nestle enjoyed that free publicity from Google, right? Uh, for sure, two, uh, two billion phones. <laughs> Yeah. Right. It's, but it's, they're not all they're running. Not. They're not all running KitKat. The majority, uh, I think, is still running actually, KitKat. Yeah, KitKat. I think KitKat's right. still the majority operating system. And to for people who aren't crazy familiar with how Android handles its operating systems, they pick a they go through the letters of the alphabet and with every letter they pick a dessert to accompany it. They call it like a tasty treat and it's referred to as the flavors of Android. And each one brings about different stuff, and I'm probably going to sound like a huge nerd right now. But it starts at C, and it's cupcake, donut, eclair, froyo, um, gingerbread, honeycomb, ice cream, sandwich, jelly bean, Kit Kat, marshmallow, nougat, or lollipop, then nougat. And people are trying to guess what Android O is. I'm proud of you. That was was awesome. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think I, I got my alphabet ABCs uh, a little wrong towards the end there. Yeah, yeah. I'll give then, you a little announcement. <laughs> and then uh, Irvin told me the other day A and B were referred to as alpha and beta. So they weren't uh, they, before they had the desserts. So yeah, they, 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 they weren't public. They, That's, uh, they haven't said, but yeah. probably we'll lips double A. Just like double Archie. A. Just like Archie. <laughs> Apple, Apple. <laughs> I was actually... I, they might get sued for that one. I started, uh, you know, on the topic... Google searching um, this are sweets that begin with the letter and but before I got to the word letter it finished the letter O so I mm. guess other people are interested in this and as oh, well yeah. um, I know we've spun around a few ideas um, I don't know if orange is uh, you know relevant enough it's pretty vague I would figure it'd be orange something it's tasty uh-huh. in an orange soda it certainly it's I also heard uh, you, Slavin, mention Ovaltine multiple times. <laughs> um, but but I, 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 for the same reasons as Oreo, it's proprietary. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if Google worked something out where that was acceptable. Mm-hmm. With you know, the main factor. Yeah, I thought about Orange Cream School as well. Um, yeah. Yeah. Studios? Um, the really? two... Big competing ones right now online are Android Oreo and Android Oatmeal Cookie. See, Oatmeal Cookie, I could see. Oatmeal itself, absolutely not. (laughs) Oatmeal is not a tasty dessert. Oatmeal Cookies, however, are. That's a breakfast. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. And and then we're two versions away from Android Q, which I don't even have any. I don't even have the slightest thought on what they would do with Android Q. Quinoa. <laughs> Android Quinoa. All I can think of. Quiche. Yeah, Android Quiche. Quiche. Oh yeah, that could work. But um, but yeah, it'll it'll be cool to see it. And with Android O, they're um, they're completely uh, redesigning how the operating system works, and they're going to try to get rid of the problem of the staggered android versions that we were kind of talking about a little bit earlier when i was saying that KitKat is still the prevailing um software version of android despite nougat which is a few versions later being yeah. the most I recent and up to date yeah i just looked up the numbers actually marshmallow is the biggest one. Oh, really uh, which is two two well technically only one version maybe two versions out yeah uh, so marshmallow right now is the biggest holder of the android Oh, interesting. It's distribution. Yeah, it's getting a little bit better, and I think there's still a few jelly bean holdouts, right? 
<laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. There's a total of what? Let's see, seven, eight, eight or nine percent of total. That two billion number is still Jelly Bean. Yeah, and uh, the which was, Yeah, which was released at least like three or four years ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know our iOS users on the panel don't have that problem with their operating <laughs> systems. Once the iPhone, no. all iPhones get the same OS at the same time, and it's all Gee. ready to go. So. Yeah. Android is in that. <laughs> yeah. And... Uh, in relation to Google Assistant, I wound up patching my phone tonight, which is uh, iPhone 6 Plus. Nothing too current. Um, but I went to, I think it's, what did I say, Kyle? 10.92, I think I went to. I guess I could check. Regardless, um, the Google Assistant, which we were discussing earlier, was not available in my app store search previously, which kind of weirded me out. Um, you know, Kyle and I discussed op, uh, updating my OS, and I did so, and then I found Google Assistant with no issue. I'm now at 10.3.2, actually. Good call, Kyle. Um, how, are you liking gotcha, your, how are you liking the Assistant on iOS versus your experiences with Siri? So um, in terms of capability, I feel much more confident in Google Assistant but in terms of reliability, I have seen some issues. Um, Do you use Assistant on a regular basis? That's a curious question but to both of you, Kyle Siri, and... you're asking. I mean, yes, Siri, sorry. Yeah. I um, almost for, never use it. For yeah. basic things, I definitely use it, like, every day. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't say complex questions, like the things that you pose to Google Assistant, yeah. um, you know, night and day. I, to be honest, I've never tried on Siri. Like, uh, I asked for what was the birth date of the 14th president of the United States, and Google Assistant could give me that answer immediately. Um, I haven't tried that one on Siri on my day-to-day use. What about you guys, Matt and and Ryan? Do you guys use Assistant now that you have it? How often do you use it? I'm just curious because I know what my answer is on my end, but I'm just curious compared (laughs) to you guys, what, how much do you use it, if at all? I don't use it. I don't use it that much. I, if I use it, I use it through Android Auto, and mm-hmm. um, right. I have actually. When you're navigating the. Yeah, and today I was using the assistant to uh, find a, a place to grab dinner, but I use it on and off. Like I, I try to incorporate it into my everyday. To so um, yeah. So the reason that I asked that, because me personally, I, I'm like Ryan. I'm like the most Google person here, but I never use it because I don't think about using it. And I think that's one of the main problems of all these assistants. Like you have to actively right now, actively think about, hey, I should really use Siri for this or I should use Google Assistant for this. It's not. And and we're of all of us, we're a bunch of nerds aren't have have to actively like go out and and think of these syntaxes that uh, to activate it or to get the right information that we're looking for has it to like a normal person um, like a real world person like what what is their interaction with it mm-hmm. um, I'm just curious of what you guys think about that because yeah. to me like it, it's there and I want to use it but I really like I don't actively go out of my way to use it and I know all the cool things that it does but it's just I don't know. What would get you to use it? This could go to anybody on the panel. What what would one of these companies have to do? Would it be a new piece of hardware, kind of like the Google Home, just like a passive 
listening device that you could just, without having to pull a phone out and um, press a button or something, just have it provide you with an answer? Oh, like, what what's stopping? Think it into fruition. <laughs> what's that? That would be the best. If I could think it into fruition, that would be the best. But honestly, oh, okay. I don't want to deal with the, the speech and back. You know, I don't want to delete words when it's getting it wrong right. and stuff. I want to type in my Google search and hit go as fast as I can. Mm-hmm. I, I, I definitely query. like... I definitely like some kind of user input to initiate it personally, um, yeah. which is why a phone works fine for me. Maybe it's a little cumbersome since you put it in and out of your pocket all day. If you're like me, um, I, I don't want something listening to me all day. At least I don't want to know that it's doing it. But right. That's me personally. Oh. Yeah. It's... Can we activate any in the room actually? <laughs> <laughs> so... I think you could use the assistant to do animal calls. That was something that, Probably anybody with children, the kid would probably enjoy that, like having a do animal calls or something. Well, or... we did that earlier. Yeah, um, you did. I said, what sound does a whale make? And it, it was perfect. I said, what sound does a tiger make? And it was perfect. And I <laughs> asked the question about the 14th president. It you know returned to information on Franklin Pierce. And then I said, what color was his hair? And it gave me hairstyles of a uh, tiger fed that's going around, which was, <laughs> you know, not what I wanted. Um, good for you for retaining my search on Tiger. Um, <laughs> and to provide an update, while while I was uh, having Irvin talk, or uh, Matt talk there, um, I performed the same search on Siri and on Google Assistant. Um, wow. You know, what was the birthday of the 14th president of the United States? Both returned correct information from Wikipedia on Franklin Pierce. And then on each, I said, what was his wife's name? Um, Siri kind of failed there. <laughs> and on Google Assistant, they said they gave me information about maiden and married names generically. So neither really answered my question um, oh, okay. re- regarding the subject at hand. But maybe maybe it's more conversational if it knows the subject explicitly. But that's it's cool that you're able to try that out. I'm I'm sure if I you know asked what was Franklin Pierce's wife's name, it would have been correct. But you know the context is what. I'm looking for mm-hmm. for something more advanced than what's already out there. And you guys mind if I circle back for a second? Oh, go go ahead. All right. So we were talking about Android O, but I don't think we went into the things that it's improving on. Okay. Yeah. Right. I, you yeah. guys go into that for a second? Because I, I know we talked about it for a hot second, but then we got distracted. Yeah. yeah. And like I said, it... So it's, did I. Don't worry. No, no worries. So it's restructuring the Android operating system from the ground up and the big thing that they're doing is something that no end user will really know but android as a whole will benefit from it enables um security updates and important operating system versions to be passed without having to have carrier input so that's the biggest problem with android right now is um Ervin was reading off the stats of which phones had which versions and it's because the carriers and the phone manufacturers themselves aren't able to keep up with the software versions. So yeah. these phones so can, fall behind. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So com- let's compare it to how Apple does it and how Android does it. So when Apple, we briefly mentioned, when they release an, uh, uh, an update to their phones, every single phone that's supported by that operating system um, gets that update as soon as Apple pushes publish. Um, the, the, in Android, that's not how it works. So... There's a, what's it called, an Android uh, open source project that Google maintains uh, that they develop. And then on top of that, they build the Google services, which are proprietary systems 
on top of that. So anyone in the world can take that Android open source project and go ahead and download it and build an entire phone operating system off of it completely for free. Um, but then you won't get uh, the Google services on it. So Google Maps, Google Assistant and all that. Uh, what you need to do is to get all those apps is be Google um, certified so that you are a legitimate company, you're making a legitimate phone and you're not going to be screwing things up. You have to go through some tests that they verify that everything's going to run uh, nicely. And then what other manufacturers do is customize Android. So you can leave the Android as Google intended, uh, but um, I'd say 90% of manufacturers don't do that. So they, they add on top different skins, different modifications, different behavior changes, uh, so that when... Uh, because of this, the, it causes differentiation between uh, the code, it, the, what's running on these different phones, depending on manufacturer. So when Android decides to release this brand new updates to the open source project, like this Android O, then it's up to the manufacturers to uh, get the newest version of that Android operating system, right. implement those same exact changes that they did for another, for the, the previous version, make it behave the same or make it slightly different, improve upon it. And that takes time from the time that this operating system was released from Google. And then they have to go through that approval process. And then once get, they get approved, then they get released to the carriers. And then once it gets to the carriers, they put their custom modifications on per carrier basis. So Verizon put all their Verizon crapware on it. T-Mobile puts their all their all their T-Mobile TV and, and visual voicemail on their my my T-Mobile app on their phones. So every single carrier goes through this customization. Once they go through in their internal verification, that's when the phones in the real world get the update. So in actuality the Android operating system was updated six to eight months ago, right? But only now the phones in real life are getting that newest version of the update. So that right. this is an explanation about what <laughs> what the difference is about the Android update process and the reason uh, that this fragmentation exists in the uh, world of Android today. And, to, and so we're just getting O, but people are already work. <laughs> so they're already working on P, even though we just got no, no, no. <laughs> so O was just announced by Google. So by O will be released in the fall as the typical schedule of Google is. So the first phones that will get it will be the Pixel and the Nexus. So they're the Google-made devices. They get the updates directly from Google. So that entire process that I just mentioned, Pixel and Nexus owners don't have to go through. They get updates directly from Google. So it's Google's, as soon as Google makes that Android OS, they push it to uh, Pixel and Nexus owners. And then so just... when it, Yeah. Yeah, and um, there's... The other features of Android O that um, are a little more noticeable from the end user that Irvin didn't mention, I know you were focused on kind of the structure of the update system. And when it comes out, the biggest things that Google announced um, is they just enabled picture-in-picture video. So if you close out of uh, YouTube or something and you have to go do something else on your phone, it'll minimize the YouTube video on your home screen so you can like move the video around and keep going into other apps while your video plays. And they're overhauling their notifications panel, so they're making notifications a bit more intuitive, so you can 
um, you'll be able to snooze certain aspects of notifications. So if you want to turn off notifications because you're getting spammed by an email or something, you can just cut notifications off to a specific account or something in an app instead of having to kill the whole app and miss out on being notified. And there's some other... Was it that... Did you, I, you cut out for a second in the beginning there. Was the, the notification um, uh, channels that you were mentioning yeah, for that? The, or the channels. Yeah, yes. yeah, the notification channels. Those were one of my favorite things. And then, um, yeah. And um, the, that I've seen. Like, you can make channels. Like, let's say right now I don't want to be bothered by any messaging app. So that'd be my text messages, Facebook Messenger, discord any any literally any messenger app that sends me messages let me just mute them all and you can do that and every single other notification you'll get but anything that sends you a message i don't want to receive right now and then you can do that you can do that you can define those channels you can customize those channels but it'll all also automatically put those certain apps into particular channels on its right. own but you can customize it and so i thought it was really awesome yeah and then on, on top of that, just to kind of quickly go through a couple of them, um, they're building their machine learning into their copy and paste. So if you have if someone texts you an address, you can just double tap and the assistant will find the full address and expand your selector to the whole address so you can quickly copy and paste it somewhere else. So if you've ever like fiddled around on your phone with the selection box, yes. it, it kind of takes a lot of the stress out of finding that. And then... I... Um, so I know everybody could benefit from something like that because it's one of the more annoying things on a phone to have a precise selection. That alone I love because as an uh, iOS user, I I can't like you know hold down and opening Google Maps. It has to be in Maps, and I've personally removed Apple Maps from my phone, <laughs> so there's no option to do that. I have to copy it, and then luckily Google Maps is smart enough to know you recently copied this. Do you want to use this address? Right. So mm. next best thing. So and, frustrating. Yeah. <laughs> Stupid text box. Come on. <laughs> and um, also, they overhauled their emojis, so their emojis now look different, and they look more like the ones from the iOS where they're circles instead of the blob faces that Android used to have. That's good. So just some dumb stuff that they did there. So then there's the autofill within apps, kind of like they're building a framework so apps can um, on the fly begin to like fill in text fields like LastPass lets you autofill your username and password whenever you're going to log on to an app. So there's um, an API they're making for that. Um they're adding adaptive icons to the home screen, so that way if um, you want to make a consistent-looking home screen, because I know iOS forces apps to conform to the box, but Android right. kind of lets you pick an image file so it can be a vector or it can be shaped like anything. And if you want them all to conform to a certain like a certain shape, you can do that. And on top of that, um, just some other basic stuff. They have um, Bluetooth 5 support and... Um, they were adding um, the ability to have it turn off Wi-Fi when you leave home. Just be aware, more aware of the location and use um, the data that it has available to kind of improve your user experience on the phone. And then also just general battery life improvements by controlling the rampant wake lock problem that Android has. And then one important thing is they announced, Google announced related to Android is... Um, so they want to get to the next billion users. That's what they called it. So 
now they have 2 billion active users in the wild uh, for Android. Now they want to get to the next billion, that 3 billion mark. So they announced the uh, initiative of uh, Android Go. So Android Go is designed for uh, smartphones with uh, less than, I think, uh, one gig of RAM and below a certain uh, percentage uh, for web browsers. So it's going to be very important for emerging markets uh, to launch those Android phones to get them into the hands of those next billion people. So it's a very important move. So it's an improved version of Android that runs better on low-end hardware, which I think is going to be a big uh, field in those emerging markets where they might reach those next billion users. Right. And um, I know we've we've spent a massive amount of time talking yeah. about this, <laughs> so I think um, we definitely should go into the break, just take a little bit of time to just, uh, just cover the next couple of topics in a little bit. So um, anybody want to say anything else before we cut off to the break? Uh, I'm... Basically all set. All I want to do is say that um, this general topic of Android iOS is definitely going to segue into something I want to talk about in the coming session. All right. And uh, definitely want to talk at some point about the ethics of having a centralized AI. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we we can dedicate an entire show for that, I think. Yes, we We can. can. (laughs) All right. We might need to. I think that's going to be a break. Um, See you guys after the break. Welcome back from the quick break, everybody. It's Kyle Fisher here on Industry 4.0. Obviously joined by everyone still. Full squad. Love it. We all stuck around for the second half, which is actually pretty surprising. So <laughs> the, our uh, our success rate so far getting everyone together has been low. Glad you guys have stuck with us so far. We want, we'll want we get more into everything Google. Uh, obviously, Thompson talked about uh, he wanted to get into the ethics. We're going to talk about that more next week. We got some other topics we want to get into for this week. But J-Bones, we came up with a startling revelation during the break. <laughs> J-Bones, tell us, where is your mind right now? What are you thinking after all this talk? So I've done some uh, you know, deep contemplation, and I think I'm ready uh, to migrate back to uh, an Android-based smartphone. Oh, the no. Time, there it is. For the first time <laughs> in, uh, in about five years to the day, actually, I was looking at my... I was looking at my personal Facebook today, and it was actually five years ago today. I said, oh, hello, iPhone, and that was my first time. Um, so basically what I wanted to open up to the group uh, to kick us off in this uh, post-break discussion is, does anyone have a recommendation for an Android phone uh, that I could possibly research and pursue? 
probably couldn't have picked a better year to transition back to Android because I think they've hit peak phone. But and it's no coincidence. Yeah, you've got <laughs> you've got quite a few options, and if you wait towards like September, October, you're gonna have way more options that I think are arguably worth the wait. Yeah. Okay. I was just about to bring up that same comment. If you were willing to wait till September to see what uh, Google is going to put out, because if you want the purest form of what it's intended to be um, from directly from Google, you want to wait till September till they release their new uh, Pixel line of phones that will run the latest version of Android. Um, I would wait till then. Um, and then if you don't want to wait and you want uh, something uh, hopefully good, there's still rumors out there. Is the OnePlus 5, it's rumored to come out this uh, summer, which will be, um, they always call their phones flagship killers, uh, which in certain aspects they are. Uh, but in the main, uh, I think, aspect that they are is they're really, 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 really good phones and at a really great price. So for, let's say, half the cost of a full-priced Galaxy S8, um, you'll get, I'd say, 95 to not, like 98% of the features of those high-end phones, and they perform really well. So OnePlus has been killing it lately. Yeah, uh, with their phones. I can walk you through basically what I tell everybody if they're asking like what kind of a phone they want, and it's like three little um, like just quick questions to kind of gauge where you're at with a phone and what your interests are. The first question is, do you plan on buying it outright, or do you plan on getting it through a carrier? Yeah. Uh, personally, I'd probably get it through a carrier. Second I question. Yeah, it's probably not popular, but. Is it's fine. What that's how most people get their phones. So the question after that would be, which carrier do you have? I am a Verizon Wireless user. Okay, so you have more options than most people, which is a good thing. So that means the likely the Pixel Two will be available for you through Verizon. So that is that's an option. And then um, the third thing is that you have. Um, most people care about one of three things with a phone. What's more important to you? Would it be battery life, a camera, or um, security? Ooh, tough question. Um, I'd probably rate the camera as the least important to me. Okay. Um, battery life is pretty critical to me, honestly. Um, as we've discussed in previous episodes, I've had some issues with how long my battery lasts on my current uh, 6 Plus iPhone. Mm-hmm. Um, security is becoming more and more prevalent um, as the years pass, and that's I would probably say the top priority for me, though. Okay, and then uh, expandable memory. That's uh, it. Ab- absolutely. Uh, when you're when you're saying memory, you mean storage, correct? Storage. Yes. Yeah, uh, I definitely prefer to have expandable storage. The phone that I would probably there's, there's a, you have a couple of choices because the the one pluses are are they're cheap and you. The only downside to that is you'll probably have to buy it outright. Um, oh, also, the uh, important note that they won't work on Verizon. The OnePlus. Oh, well. So that rules yeah, out OnePlus, OnePlus is AT&T or T-Mobile only. So GSM, so CDMA, um, yeah, Verizon won't work. Okay. So that, that, that yeah, cuts you out from that group. And there is that. Yeah, there goes that phone. And then um, if you're saying you didn't care about battery, I don't know. What, or you didn't care about cameras, but I don't know That's right. what kind of 
battery and or expandable storage the Pixel 2 will be having. So that that's always a variable later in the year. But for yeah. phones that are out right now, if you wanted to switch, um, they Motorola just released their new phone, the Z Play. And that phone, I think there's there may even be a newer variant of that coming out this year, or it has already come out. And that phone, people have been... It's not the greatest camera, but it gets the job done. So I think it also has expandable storage. So that checks off that mark for you. And the biggest mark is that um, people have been reporting upwards of two days of battery life on that phone. And that's like really grilling it with like YouTube and watching movies and using it for like work all day, playing music on their phones. And they're getting like two straight days of battery life. Damn! So well, that is sorry, that but I can wow! Say. Yeah. yeah, and then on top of that, it comes with the Moto mods. So you can, that's those are the phones that you can clip on, like the projector under the back of it, or you can clip on the thing that turns it basically into with like a DSLR camera and stuff like that. So it's it's like modular too. So it's a cool phone. I like the concept of modular. Certainly, um, I have a, a coworker who got a Pixel, and that aspect of you know modularity uh, definitely appealed to me as. Uh, a self-proclaimed tech guy, mm-hmm. uh, computer engineer. I, I do like messing with hardware, so it would be nice to be able to kind of, um, you know, do some research and swap in and out what I need. The only thing is that Motorola is kind of all over the place with the software updates. So, you're if you're wanting to test out the latest and greatest of what Android has to offer, then you're probably going to be pretty far behind by maybe even a year or two. So yeah, that that's. Definitely not a plus. <laughs> yeah. And it's up to the carrier to decide how fast you want to get your security updates. But that, in terms of battery, is single-handedly your best bet. And it's also close to stock. So it's not heavily skinned like Cough TouchWiz or LG's skin or anything like that. So that would probably be what I would recommend. But. All right, so I, I have a follow-up, if you don't mind. Then. So I have been an avid iPhone user since the day I got a smartphone. My dad, my brother, uh, a lot of my friends have the iPhone. Uh, a few have converted to, to Android. Uh, my girlfriend has Android. All of you have Android. Well, J-Bone's about to get Android. But all of you have Android. <laughs> what are the benefits? Because I, I like you know, the iMessage, the easy interconnectivity, the FaceTime, the things like that that the iPhone had to offer, what are the advantages of me switching to Android just as far as like interconnectivity goes? Uh, personally from a layman, uh, <laughs> I'm not going to say I, I know the specs like Irvin and Matt do, but I, I, my personal preference was that the APKs were free. I could Google them originally, especially off the Motorola Droid X. I could get any app I wanted for free. I didn't have to pay anything. Didn't have to go on the Android store. I could just get the APK file and I could install it on my Android. Now, that's not recommended because these days there's a lot of viruses out there. There's, you know, .apk file and you can screw up your phone. But, I mean, that's just having that, that open source aspect to it, I that really appealed to me in the beginning. And I've stuck with Android ever since. It's been nice. It's been clean. It's a, it's a great running app operating system. When I went back, when I went to Nexus because Matt and Irvin convinced me, <laughs> I, I don't think I could ever go back, honestly. And uh, just, I just the iPod Touch. I, I did have the iPod Touch in the version three, and I I, <laughs> I thought about getting the iPod. I did at one point. I did. It was appealing, but I, I can't I can't go back there. <laughs> and just so you know, Kyle and any listeners who are unaware, uh, APK stands for Android Package Kit, and it's uh, the package file format 
that Android uses to distribute uh, installation of apps, middleware, etc. Yeah, it's basically just the, the way they have apps. And, yeah. I happen to know that you follow up anyway with that just to, <laughs> for, for the listeners who aren't sure. Um, so so I, unlike JBuzz, I actually prefer that the like in my order it would be camera one, just behind it, battery life two, and then security three. Mm-hmm. What would be it? See, I know you're a big selfie guy, so that makes sense to me. Um, <laughs> Have you seen my beard? <laughs> it's there should glorious. be as many photos of this thing as possible. <laughs> Who's your carrier? At Verizon as well. Verizon? Okay. So then you guys are both in a pretty good spot. So your case, um, since you also said you're coming from the I- the iOS environment, you're, it would be easier probably to have a very simple and very... Um, stable Android experience. So in your case, I'd probably recommend the Pixel or the Pixel 2 because it's the closest thing to the iOS environment with the same rate of updates and security. And on top of that, it um, I don't know what the DxO Mark score stands for or what it really even means, but the Pixel scored by far the highest um, marks on the camera quality out of any smartphone ever made. So it's currently snap. number one in camera quality. Nice. Shortly okay. behind that would be the LG G6. I, I think the biggest hang-up for me is the fact that my son has an iPod and an, an iPad and an iPod Touch, mm-hmm. and he can FaceTime me and like with audio too when he's connected to Wi-Fi. Right. So I can kind of call him without him having a cell phone if I need to, mm-hmm. uh, which is just I think that's the one thing that's making me hold on at this point because he got it about. About six months to a year ago is when he got those two devices within the last year or so. So I was thinking about switching uh, recently, but that's kind of been the thing to hold me on. But I don't know. The more we talk about it, the more I might be like, you know what, son? Whatever. I don't care. You can call your mom. You can also download Duo for Android, which is their FaceTime, but it's platform independent. So it's Duo is just a video messaging so there, client. Yeah. So oh, there are equivalent apps uh, in terms of what you have on Android, but I think the most important thing to take away from if you're thinking about switching away from the iOS platform is that integration between as you mentioned all of those services so if you're really into um, iMessage FaceTime and all of that you already use that with your family members or your friends and you're used to you have the, your group set up I know iMessage is one of the biggest uh, differentiators for iPhones and a lot of people love uh, that aspect of it. And if you're fine with what your iOS device delivers for you at the moment, like just, and you want to stick to that, you're comfortable in that ecosystem. At this point, I think um, what I recommend to a lot of people is at this point, like they always ask me, family members and, and my friends, like, oh, what's the best phone out there right now? It's like, whatever, it's, at this point, they're all, they do everything pretty well. Um, there's very small differentiators between all of them. And if you're on a platform that you're comfortable with and you like, and you just stick with it, you're going to have a great experience uh, no matter what, uh, in my opinion. So it's like at this point, we reached peak phone. Um, mm-hmm. We're at that right. point where, like, what else can they do? What else uh, can they improve upon? It's, it's always going to be really different. resolution and screen resolution. That's always yeah. what 
main factors are, and then processing power to go correlate. Yeah. Them cameras, though. Yeah. <laughs> and then also you have to consider um, even staying in the environment. Apple has their 10-year anniversary coming up for the iPhone, so mm-hmm. they're probably planning on doing something completely crazy with their smartphone. So by the end of this year, there could be an iPhone that blows everything out of the water that we just talked about. Right. Then maybe by the end of the year, we'll have my epic revelation whether I'm staying or leaving. Yeah. We already had J-Buzz. We'll, we'll find out on me later in the year yeah. in a later episode. Yeah, I think, Jeff, you should hold out, too. We'll see what happens and what Google does and in terms of what they put out and what if the rumors hold up. Uh, actually, I, there haven't been that much rumors about the Google phone yet. but I am uh, certain that I can make it until then, uh, <laughs> especially considering that my, I believe, two-year benchmark, so to speak, of getting this current phone comes up in August. So okay. I believe yeah. that I will be eligible for a uh, significant discount at that time. By that time, I think we'll have some some either leaks or definite information about the Pixel 2, and I'm almost positive that there's going to be some kind of a leak or reveal for the iPhone 8 or whatever the number they're going to pick for it because it's a 10-year anniversary. So I think even by then you'll probably know whether you're waiting a few more months or if you're... I'm almost sad that I can't get the iPhone 8 just to compare to whatever you guys are running. Um, (laughs) You know, just because that's always fun. Mm -hmm. But um, I'm basically committed to the Android push at this time. So Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm certainly jumping on the Pixel 2 when it comes out because that's right when my two years is up. It might be up to you, Kyle. We'll see. We'll have to see the time. <laughs> but whether I stay with iPhone, whether you decide to move on, we're all talking about smartphones, obviously, on an awesome segue into the next topic, but one of the most popular smartphone apps out there, Uber. Uber is allegedly using a new technology, uh, location-based data, upcharging their customers if they are in a uh, what, what you would call like a, a higher-income area, a nicer area. Uh, depending on it's different like algorithms uh, you know if you live in a, in a richer neighborhood and you're going to another rich neighborhood they're charging you more uh, and, and they kind of masked it by giving this upfront cost instead of giving you an estimate they kind of tell you hey when you book this you put in where we're picking you up and where you're going to this is the right ra- this is the rate that you're going to get no matter what and uh, the revelation seemed to have come if I read correctly it seemed to come by uber drivers complaining that it seems like the fares went up but they're the money earned did not go up at the same time. I don't know how much you guys have looked into it, yeah. uh, but but that's that's basically what I've read so far. Uh, how yeah. do you guys feel about this? And it's it's ever changing. When Uber was the the leader in the market of the the uh, ride sharing app, how has Lyft not passed Uber? This is like <laughs> these people are the king of scumbags. That like they take everything you could possibly do to be an evil company, and they just try to keep pushing it as far as it'll go, and still remain a company and be profitable. <laughs> It's at the marketing. rate that Uber is going at, I think Lyft is just sitting back and just watching this ship sink. Because <laughs> they're screwing up week by week and just going, this is all this crazy stuff. And I think Lyft is just sitting back and just waiting for, uh, yeah, for them to like really, really screw up and then they're just going to take over. I know that Lyft's numbers has grown a lot especially after the delete Uber movement mm-hmm. that happened a while back where um, on, on Twitter, 
There was a lot of movement in like I deleted Uber. Or, yeah, delete the Uber app, and, and everybody started moving over to uh, the Lyft. So I knew their numbers grew a lot. Uh, I've actually then. noticed that it's easier to get a ride in Lyft in Philly than it is in Uber. Like the average time to get picked up for me is it seems faster on Lyft. Interesting. So I think there's like just. They- the people. Game of Thrones of, uh, you know, <laughs> driver <laughs> services. <laughs> Except the one family is just killing itself instead of killing the other families. <laughs> <Right. laughs> they're just they, it's yeah, they self-inflicted wound after self-inflicted wound. And um, to to bridge off of the algorithm you were talking about when you um, brought in the topic, um, they had an algorithm that was similar to a cab fare, so it would kind of go based off of the amount of time you were in the car and what time of day it was, and if you were near any events, depending on what they would upcharge you. And this one seems to be more based off of the demographics of the location and where you're at. So, like you were saying, um, people going from a nicer neighborhood to a nicer neighborhood, would they would be like, oh, these people are probably of higher income, they can afford a higher fare. So, um, in that case, you would see um, those people get charged more money just because of where they live. And as a result of that, it's like um, people, and as a result of that, um, the cab drivers are also, or the Uber drivers are also noticing that they're not getting paid as much because they're using the old algorithm to pay the drivers, but they're using this new algorithm to charge the customers. And then Uber's keeping that difference. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So not only are they scalping the riders, they're scalping the drivers. So I, Obviously, our, we want our podcast to, ex, to extend beyond where we live, but think of it like if you're if you're listening and you're in Philadelphia, think of it as going from Maniunk or Roxborough to Conshohocken. They will charge you significantly more than going from Roxborough Maniunk to LaSalle University, for example. Like mm-hmm. it's it's a very, North Philadelphia, very shady area. Even though it is technically a college area, it's not the best area by a long shot, they're going to charge you significantly less going there than if you go to Conshohocken, which is sub suburban, even though it's closer, they will charge you more because it's a suburban upscale area versus uh, almost anywhere else in the city, except for the main strip in center city. And that's something I was getting into earlier. Um, you know, just kind of discussing this point off air. It, it, it's almost akin to gentrification. I mean, if you, take someone from a low-income neighborhood and needs Uber to work and maybe a more upscale neighborhood, if they're getting charged more to go to that neighborhood, uh, who does that serve other than Uber? That's um, really has a lot of societal implications, in my opinion. Um, and, you know, there's there's a lot of chain stores who do things like this. Like, um, I, I don't know that I want to name them on air, but there's a lot of... Um, home improvement stores, which um, do location-based pricing. So Mm -hmm. if you were to go to the store in, say, a low-income neighborhood where it's located, the price may be $10. If you go somewhere where it's more upscale, it could be $30 or $40 for the same item based on where you are. Um, And it's it's not quite the same animal, but when, when you're talking about traveling things that impact people who may not live in that area who need to go there that's where it becomes a a major issue in my opinion and the fact that Mm -hmm. the drivers aren't benefiting from this and only the corporation is that's definitely a a red flag for me 
I know that your company's catchphrase only means so much. It's really just to draw attention. It's not supposed to be the motto of your company, like, like your internal motto. But when you, when every uh, radio commercial you hear is drive with Uber, get your side hustle on, and then they're hustling you on top of that. Like, that's not really the best <laughs> motto to go by. Yeah. James, don't tell anybody. Come on now. That's. I think they mean it's get good. hustled on, not get yeah, your yeah, hustle hustled on. on be like, well, we told you. <laughs> yeah. And then and Uber's got this history of kind of treating its drivers like meat bags to pass time by until they can afford self-driving cars. So this on top of that, like I don't know how anybody is still driving for Uber or I mean it's it must be out of just necessity at this point. Like they need that that work or they need that extra money. So they do Uber. But just the fact that they know that they're getting like scalped as hard as they are on top of the customer. It, it, it kind of would present this like awful moral dilemma for people. And I think it's almost like sick for a company like that to put people through that kind of a dilemma. And it's just like, every time I see Uber in the news, it's always something bad. I never see them doing something good. So I was just going to say, I wonder what their board meetings are like, you know, coming from the backlash from cab drivers and cab companies to now things like this. I mean, they're kind of getting it from all ends. Travis, it's funny that you say that. Have you ever seen the Lyft commercial where they take a shot at Uber? I it, is, it is two or three dudes in a boardroom come acting like these ridiculous ideas or these negative things about them are good ideas that they came up with that they're putting into practice. Wow, oh my like that's their commercial. So it's funny that you said that. It's, should it's, I should I work for Lyft? Is that what you're telling me? Yeah, I think you should. I think <laughs> you should. But I think one of the biggest reasons that people still drive Uber is because for the longest time it just it dominated the show. It was it was that much bigger than Lyft. I would ask almost every Uber driver or every Lyft driver that I got in their car. I was like, Do you drive both? Yeah, I drive both, but I mainly do Uber because there's just not as many people using Lyft. Well, now that those users are up, you would hope that the drivers would make that that. Uh, that turn and, and and like Irvin was saying, you you see that you know lift lift are they just sitting back and letting things happen? It's almost like they're making small deals in the background. Like I was telling you guys during the break, I saw that Delta made a deal with Lyft where while you if you have your app uh, and your your frequent flyer mile account linked to your Lyft account, you gain miles for flying while in the car. Of the of the lift that you ordered, right? So it's they are appealing that Delta's made deals like this before. They made similar deals with Airbnb, where you get bonuses for booking with your frequent flyer mile account, and they're clearly trying to. This is obviously a, a side tangent because Delta trying to portray themselves to a younger audience or trying to broaden their their horizons with a younger audience, but. That's Lyft just slowly sitting back, letting Uber make all the mistakes and going like, oh, yeah, we'll take this little side deal right here. We'll make ourselves look better while you guys destroy yourselves. That's not even a little side deal to me. I think that's genius because how many people go to the airport in a cab or an Uber or a Lyft? You know, they're they're basically incentivizing, hey, take our service and here you go. You're basically on the flight already. It's it's what you're gearing up for in a day. You're benefiting from taking their service. It's probably at a lesser equal value to its competitors. It's genius. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, and thanks for sharing that, Kyle. Yeah. And like, not to bring it back to Google again, but Lyft has made one of those side deals with uh, Waymo. So Waymo was a shoot off uh, from Google. Is their Waymo is their self-driving uh, initiative and and I think Waymo 
even though they haven't released a car or they really haven't done anything that much publicly, I think that they might be one of the biggest players in the self-driving game. And I think their that partnership with Google's Waymo is really big in terms of competing uh, with Uber once we get to that point where uh, these cars are driving themselves. Because I know Uber is definitely working on their same program and I think Waymo is making really really smart moves in the background of getting their uh, uh, pieces on the right place for and then just waiting for Uber just to fall and, and ruin itself and then once that happens they'll have everything ready to go to take over uh, yeah. just the market in general yeah, yeah. Waymo is working with Uber too aren't they they, really? they did at one point, and then they. I thought Waymo was working with both of them at one point, and then they backed Waymo, out of Uber. Waymo is suing Uber. Oh, they are. Well, if that's what your definition of working with is, then. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, either way, they're going to get paid in some way. So. Yeah. So the like the, the background of that, there's a a, a Waymo uh, uh, engineer who left to go to work at Uber on their self-driving uh, team, and. Uh, apparently, he brought over a uh, couple confidential information directly related to their LiDAR system inside of Waymo for detecting objects on the road. Um, and they were using that inside of Uber, and that was found out now. Uh, yeah, uh, Waymo found that out, and now they're suing Uber uh, oh, man. <laughs> for... Uh, wow sharing those trade secrets. Uh, so so I, I have a question. What was the likelihood of anybody else really jumping into this game, into the ride-sharing game? I've seen, like, cabs try and market themselves to a younger crowd by saying, hey, download our app. We'll come and pick you up. But it's still the same old cab model, ultimately. You know, one company yeah. in the city or, you know, Germantown Cab, whatever you have, it may be, 215 a cab, like whatever the number is that you're calling to get a cab. They're all basically run through the same area and it's the same model that it's always been. They just, the app makes it seem more modern or whatever, whatever you want to, whatever phrasing you want to use, whatever term you want to use. What's the likelihood of anyone else getting in this game? And does it really matter at this point if someone tries to? Um, I, uh, go ahead, Irvin. Yeah, I think it's really going to be hard at this point to jump in the game and really make a difference friends but like just saying that like think of this is a completely different field but think of like myspace and then that was like the biggest thing right and then facebook jumped in and took over like in, in like it, i could see that happening in the same way and for the rights sharing services but like at this point they're so big it, it just it'd be really hard for someone to someone fresh to jump in and start something that will take over both of those behemoths at this point. Uh, I mean, you, you could have said the same thing, you know, who's, who's going to jump in and take the cab services businesses 10, right. 10 years ago. Yeah. It's just a matter of, of Every, what's the yeah. present capability. Every, everybody was betting against Uber and Lyft when they first started out, especially Uber because they were one of the first ones to like, really pushed this and everybody turned them down because they were like, oh no, cabs are fine. The cab, cabs, nobody can take on the cabs. Then nobody wanted to. And look, look where we're now today. Mm -hmm. 
I mean, and, I think it's all it's all based upon response time and availability. You know, what what every what what do you seek as a customer, a patron of these businesses? You want your your ride to show up as fast as possible. You want to yep. get to where you're going as fast as possible, and you want to be comfortable while you're doing it. So and I don't want to like, pay extra because I'm driving to a special neighborhood. Uh, yeah, price is definitely <laughs> something I missed there. Um, I mean, personally, unless they find a way to compete with the actual manufacturers of or the, the planning to be manufacturers of autonomous cars, I don't think either of these companies will be ex- existing, you know, very far in the future. Yeah. Because well, our, our autonomous cars are the future, and if they have no way to capitalize on that, then they're, they'll be short-lived. Right, and both of them are, at least um, Uber definitely, through law and through personal decision, backed out of Austin, Texas. And you're seeing all kinds of smaller ride-sharing companies springing up in that area. So, And Austin, Texas is kind of like the San Francisco of the Midwest. So I think if any place can help a ride-sharing company gain traction, it's through um, the law kind of driving the Uber and Lyft with like some of those shady business practices that Uber's doing um, out the door to kind of pave the way for more competition. And I know you're, there's some that are popping up. There's some in New York. Uh, one, I think it's called Arrow that lets you actually hail a real taxi in the same way you would call an Uber. And there's another one somewhere else. I think it's called Chariot, and it's more geared for women who need late-night rides and are and don't feel as comfortable getting into a car with some strange dude in an Uber or, or the Lyft or something. I heard so, about that one also. Yeah, there's there's some different um, options that are out there. So, Some smaller ones for sure coming up. I saw, it's funny because it's actually an idea that friends and I had. We just didn't ever pursue it. And uh, uh, my brother went to college with a girl who just launched a company in State College. And she plans on expanding it. Where uh, it's all about when you go to a, a sporting event or a live concert or something like that. And you drive and you are not legally able to drive home um, in the in the simplest terms. When you're not able to drive your car anymore, it's a two-person service where they come get you and your car, drive your car home, and the other person follows and picks the, the driver up. Wow. And, and, it's, and it's a similar idea, and they also planning on – they also plan on expanding into things like, you know, we bring you the tailgate where – we will drive all the ingredients for a tailgate to you as long as you have a grill. Like you don't have to go shopping beforehand. We'll bring it to you so you can tailgate at a Nittany Lions game, and then we will also take you home afterwards. Like uh, it's, it, I see a lot of variation in small things, but obviously, like you said, we never thought this X Y Z behemoth would be taken down in this market until it happens. So, is the potential there? Yeah, for sure. But I, I think, like you said, the autonomous car is the next thing, not the next ride sharing app with a live driver yeah you had me when you were talking about someone driving your car home for you but the the bringing bring your own hot dogs kind of thing uh <laughs> that 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 threw me for a loop i gotta say <laughs> and um, yeah, basically like you would pay me for bringing you the hot dogs and the ribs and the burgers and in the cost on your final bill would be the cost of those items as well so you'd scan it into the app and then you would be paying for the burgers, but you don't have to go do the work. Say you're in state college and you want to go sightseeing and you don't have time to go do all that. I'm doing it for you and you get to see the sites a little bit more. Right. That's that, pretty cool. That'll be cool. And um, yeah. with and you were saying autonomous cars will be the, the thing that eventually replaces all these ride sharing apps. And um, it's getting a lot easier now that Tesla opened up all their patents. They did a few years ago. So um, anybody has the ability to make what tesla makes essentially and 
produce those cars, and um, we're starting to actually see that now with Volvo, and Volvo has decided that they're completely ditching their diesel brand, and, or their diesel line of vehicles, and they're switching over completely and putting all their stops in all electric. So it's really cool to see um, a company finally stepping up and kind of going all in, like Tesla, on electric. And with that, you can even get towards autonomous driving once you get the electric stuff down. So any thoughts on, on that? One of the first big competitors to Tesla moving over to electric? I think it'll be interesting to see if any of the, you know, um, General Motors, so to speak, related uh, automakers make the same push, um, especially when it comes to American cars. I wouldn't be surprised to see more foreign companies make this push. Right. Um, when it comes to United States of America, I think this is going to be an extreme uphill battle. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, not to, you know, get national with it but well Volvo is Swedish I, I, so I, yeah I know exactly so <laughs> I guess uh as an American um I'm curious to see whether or not our country kind of makes the same push um from our manufacturers actually to go in depth with that uh Jeff like what you're saying is Tesla right now for the most part is American made and I find that honestly it's a little bit strange to me that they do not promote that they are American made more often whereas gm you know i know a lot of our people our parents age and older they still go right to gm cars stuff like that because oh we're buying american you know what i mean they have that nationalist pride i'm surprised tesla doesn't capitalize on that more they rely on the viral marketing that, mm-hmm. you know which that could be a key factor if they did actually yeah in all honesty i had no idea until you just told me yeah yeah, I think that for that reason is why Elon Musk is on one of um, Trump's advisory boards is because he's an American manufacturer. Um, and it's cool to see that um, these companies are stepping up. And I know you got Ford and Chevy and GM kind of going real heavy in on the, the hybrid line of vehicles. And you have like the Chevy Volt and um, all those other cars that are coming out in the Ford Focus hybrids and stuff like that. And it'd be interesting to see one of them drop the hybrid line in favor of going all EV, and yeah, they're yeah they're yeah. dipping their toes in the water. Chevy lost Chevy uh, launched they, like you mentioned. They have the Volt, which is a hybrid model, but uh, they re- uh, launched late last year the Bolt EV, which is an all electric uh, midsize car. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're they're definitely uh, starting to uh, go and, and try out what is possible with a full electric vehicle. Um, and we'll see what happens when uh, Tesla releases their uh, Model 3 starting in July of this year. They're going to start shipping them. Uh, we'll see what, uh, where that will uh, take them and how will, that will change uh, the marketplace. Right. Um, yeah, it's definitely going to be cool, and especially when it's one thing to, to come out with an all-electric car or to release a couple of patents that kind of push the industry forward, but it's another thing to say, this is a line of cars that caters to a lot of people in our country, we're dropping it, we're completely changing the car to electric, like, this yeah. this push needs to happen, so, I mean, good on Volvo, I'm, I'm glad that to see another company kind of stepping up to the plate with the EV car movement, right, and we're even yeah. seeing it get popular in, like, um, racing, now they have Formula E for all electric mm-hmm. 
um, supercars, which they're not as fast, but it's still cool to see that we're getting to that point. Not yet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Good time. Yeah. And then to suck us right back down into another topic, we have um, Theresa May in the UK. And I know it doesn't really pertain to us, but we could see something happening with this election that sets a dangerous precedent for um, going back into into technology with the computers and stuff. They wanted to redo the internet on their platform for the Tories party. So anybody have any thoughts on the restructuring of the internet and removing encryption and or anybody want to break it down who's had a chance to read the article? She's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> That's basically what I was going to say. Mm-hmm. Um, removal of encryption is <laughs> all I needed to hear personally. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, government regulated anything doesn't really end well in the long run. Um, mm-hmm. Especially the internet. Like, you don't want, I mean, you don't really want the government controlling what you can and cannot see on the internet. In terms of a free exchange of information? Yeah. You want that ability to have access to basically anything um, that is on the internet. That might be good or bad, but that's up to you what you want to access. And and controlling that information is, is is a way of uh censoring in my opinion censoring let's say that the government uh that Theresa doesn't agree with a certain point of view and that she decides that she wants to block every single article on the internet that mentions that particular topic uh does that that's completely blocking uh people's views of that opinion or that that information it's modern age uh, it's, book burning it's exactly, and it's dangerous. I mean, the the way it was phrased in the article I read is they want to restrict what you can post, share, and publish. Imagine if you have an insightful thought on a topic. Um, I guess this podcast can be an example talking about this very matter, and someone tells you, no, you're not allowed to share that with people because we right. say you can't. Very Orwellian. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean – Imagine what floodgates this opens as well. If this is okay, what else is? You know, that's the whole point of conversations like these is um, predicting what this will lead to, what mm-hmm. what will come of this, and what kind of human rights are infringed upon based upon this. This is like, um, you know, in America restricting your, uh, your, your freedom of speech. If you're not allowed to talk about one thing, what does right. that lead to? And it would be interesting also, you have these big uh, tech companies that are in the U.S. and some of these laws that are coming forward and you see um, Apple and Google um, kind of protesting back when the U.S. government tried to pass the SOPA and PIPA laws where they all had like pasted up on their big homepage the the text like describing what it is and why it's bad and why they're protesting it and Wikipedia took themselves down for a day in solidarity and I mean, that that's just in the U.S. These companies don't care at all about the U.K. It took them three years to get Android Pay. They're just, Apple and Google are just going to pull right out of that country. And you're going to yep. see, they're going to be like, oh, okay, you have to you have to convert Google search engines so that way they can view all of the photos for any kind of terrorist stuff or they have to decrypt your iMessage so they can view your, your texts to your neighbors. And Apple and Google won't do that because, one, it's, 
putting a backdoor in encryption is mathematically impossible because it's just numbers and and two it's like feasibly impossible and in the US a lot of the Google developers had stood up to the CEOs and said we will quit if you were forced to write backdoors in our software so it it would be cheaper for Google and Apple to just be like see ya and just like back out of the country and can you imagine if Apple backed out of the UK Imagine Apple and Google doing it, what that would do to the country. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just but imagine what that means for them. Uh, like that's a pitfall. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, exactly. I can't Kyle. see. Well, I guess I, I won't get into it, but there's been other <laughs> examples of uh, the impossible happening politically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I wouldn't happen for the UK. Yeah, the iPhones would almost be. Uh, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. Okay. Um, I'd say the iPhones would almost be like contraband because they would have to round up these encrypted devices, these super secure, um, like phones that they're refusing to change. So yeah, just think about. It. I mean, we talked about how dangerous net neutrality is, where big cable companies are in control of the internet, but the government being able to hide every possible thing. I mean, it was easy before the internet, but like hiding every possible thing would be easy if the government controlled the internet. Right. Imagine not having the ability to that the internet is the way people get their news today, whether it's US, UK, what have you. It imagine living in the UK where all of your news is gotten on your smartphone and tomorrow, boom, this woman's elected and now you can't get information instantly about anything going on around you. It's like it's like that show Revolution where you go from one second having everything to the next second having nothing, it's chaos. Right. It's almost like what, what they predicted would happen with Y2K would happen in the UK for like a day. Mm-hmm. Access to anything anymore. Yeah. At least then, not live. Yeah, and then from that point forward, it would be controlled access to what they want you to see, not what's actually going on. And what would that do to their, you know, uh, from an individual basis to the nation, their their foothold in the world? Right. And the terrifying thing is that she's actually leading in the polls. She's predicted to win currently. And this is her primary campaign platform that she's running on. So, and I know that... Do you think people don't know any better? Or do you think they think, oh yeah, I've taken this into consideration. This is a good idea. The biggest problem with... um, and, and I, I'm saying this as our country is just as guilty. The biggest problem with the UK's voting system is that the youth doesn't get involved. There's nobody who, like, people are super vocal about hating this person. But when the polls, when push comes to shove, they don't or shove, they don't show up to the polls. So right. these people, that's how Brexit happened. That's how, the, that's how a lot of these big crazy elections turned out. People just didn't show up. Do you think they understand the implications? think they do but they don't understand the implications of not voting it's misguided i think that people need to kind of understand the importance of voting and kind of get away from this defeatist attitude of oh if i someone else will go vote for me or my vote doesn't count or something like that if enough people think that it does then they can influence an election so one one of donald trump's major platform uh aspects was building a wall you know along the border of Mexico. This is Theresa May's wall. <laughs> it essence. is. And yeah. we've had Trump as president for how long now? They're not anywhere close to passing that wall <laughs> mm-hmm. or building that wall. So, I mean, she could run on this platform just to get her in, but doesn't necessarily mean it would actually, you know, pass through the legislation. 
But I think but that putting up should... a virtual wall is easier than putting up an actual wall. Agreed. Yeah, that's it's why just I a matter of a lot easier because China pulling out money and pulling out major corporations is going to be a lot more difficult. Agreed. Just as as these corporations have power in our political parties in the United States, they also have power in the political parties in the UK. Right. And I think that people what? shouldn't assume that it's harder. It won't get passed if they get elected. I think yeah. they should assume it will. If they're saying they're going to do it, assume they will do it. You just shouldn't elect somebody like that. <laughs> the backwards mindset. But what I think, what I think needs to happen is that James Corden needs to get with whatever the UK uh, MTV is, get Adele and U2 and start their own Rock the Vote campaign. Apparently, because if the youth isn't coming out, they need to do something. Like, we realized <laughs> in 1990 we needed young voters. They're they're going to let this woman change the way that everything works information wise in their entire country like it mm-hmm. if that's a legitimate problem something needs to be done about it and i'm gonna go ahead and take this time to say um anyone listening please share this to your friends in the uk so that absolutely. you know we can get get the word out um yeah. in any way possible we don't have to worry about the french they've they're, they're they've actually showed up to vote so it's the people across the pond in the uk that need to know this information and need to to be aware of what's at stake because they had this opportunity with Brexit and they didn't do anything. And then that's how they got Theresa May in the first place. And now for whatever reason, I don't understand how parliament works in the UK, but she's up for re-election. So now's your second chance. So, um, I think, I think we covered pretty much everything. Does anybody want to say anything else about the, the last topic or No. All right, cool. Um, yeah, I got nothing. <laughs> it's it's pretty much self-explanatory. Yeah, my yeah. James Corden, that's all I had. I would hope it's self-explanatory. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, well, that's the end of the episode. Does anybody have anything they would like to, to plug? Now's the opportunity to shamelessly plug any of your, your side channels or social media presence or anything like that. I mean, you you can find the show on Facebook and Instagram, Industry Four O spelled out. Yeah. Uh, on, on both uh, Four and O, both spelled out. Obviously, we're on SoundCloud. We're on iTunes. We're on uh, what's it? The the Google is it Google Music? Google Play? Google I don't Play. have Google, Google Play. Play Store. Okay, I'm mm-hmm. still from. I'm not familiar with that yet. So, the Google Play Store. Uh, you can find all our stuff there. Uh, me personally, if you feel like you want to follow me for some reason, you can find me Facebook. Uh, Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat, all at Kyle Fisher forty five, uh, and also because I plugged our podcast on my other podcast. If you happen to be a huge nerd and like technology and professional wrestling like myself, feel free to check out on iTunes and soon to be Google Play as well as uh, uh, Pod uh, Podomatic dot com. Uh, on air with Keenan and Kyle talking all things professional wrestling. Nice, excellent, excellent. I like the name Keenan and Kyle. It's fresh. Yeah, that was the idea. <laughs> all right, cool. Um, and yeah, like you said, we're uh, we're available on all the the main social media platforms and all of your, and we have enough RSS feeds for your favorite podcatcher, or you can add us in whatever and keep up with our latest episodes as they come out. And uh, not the only one plugging themselves. 
I think so. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah. It's that big of a deal, guys. That's yeah. why you in have the fu- in the future I'll have something for you. Everybody else. Nice. All right. Everybody else is just so dedicated to this show that they don't <laughs> yeah. have to plug anything else. That's I right. plug my That's personal right. stuff, yo. I'm I'm trying to get that following, you know what I'm saying? No, hey, we gave you we gave you a moment for a reason, right? I'm, I'm trying yeah. to be on that young level. This is your time in the sun. This is your time in the sun. All right. Well, so, thank you guys. I appreciate yeah. it. Yeah, no problem. And uh so, that's so it. I think we're uh, yeah we're signing off for Industry 4.0. This is uh, Jeff, Ryan, Kyle, Irvin, and Matt, and uh, we will catch you in the future. <laughs>